It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. It's 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, so we must be live, and we have uh, two great guests that we'll be bringing in here shortly uh, to have a great conversation with today around talent, about what makes them tick, and really that's what the show was built around was my curiosity about what really cool and talented people are doing and thinking about, and maybe we, we can learn from them, and it's, well, it's how they're managing their people, how they're managing their talent and their companies. Um, so all those things are a part of what why this show is what it is and why we are here having this little interview. So, um, so, so many of these uh, guests have provided such wonderful stories and insights that put them all uh, the last five years of, of kind of the best of the best uh, into my book, The Power of Company Culture. Really a lot of what I learned through my own research and talking to great guests. Um, and so uh, I'd love to have you check that out. You can pick it up on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Um, but we continue to today to, to get more stories and more incredible insight from these leaders. And that's why we're still here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, talking uh, to, to, to the best of the best. And you can access that to our, our podcast on iTunes, listen to us on iHeartRadio, uh, go to TalentalkRadio.com. We have over 10,000 of you a day through all the different channels are coming in and downloading podcasts or listening to episodes. And it's a really big uh, thank you to everyone who's part of the show. And we love to keep the conversation going, which is why we've kind of kept the uh, Twitter part of our, our show going. And if you're on Twitter, we'd love to have you send questions and comments and suggestions. Uh, if you follow at PeopleG2, uh, there my producer Mike actually live tweets the show. And so you can find um, the handles of the guests and myself, and you can ask questions and, and give us whatever uh, feedback you want there. Um, and if you even tweet during the show, Mike tries to get me some of those questions live, and we try to even feed them in sometimes. So that's a fun part as well. All right. My guests uh, for the show today include Rich uh, Maloney, the founder and CEO of Engage and Grow Global, who will be joining me all the way from Australia, which we appreciate. And then uh, we'll have on uh, Sharon Rich, the CEO of Think Business Growth. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Rich, welcome to the show. Chris, it's an absolute pleasure. 7 a.m. here in Melbourne, Australia. It's a bit chilly, but I'm excited to be on the call. Thanks for having chilly. me. chilly. Probably have your caffeine going, and I uh, appreciate you being up early. So, <laughs> Good, yeah. Well, so why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? You know, what's important for us to know for the context of our conversation here today? Um, you know, what, what, what's important about you? Maybe not the name of your third grade teacher or anything like that, but, you know, what's <clears> important <throat> for what we're going to talk about today? And, of course, understanding a little bit more about what Engage and Grow Global does uh, as well. 
Yeah, sure. Well, uh, originally started in the sports industry some eight years ago and uh, really understanding how to get more productivity out of people. I saw a system and uh, and I activated that system in the sports industry and then it uh, organically morphed into the business world. Uh, and now we're uh, what in uh, 80 countries and have a uh, licensee uh, profile of about 300. And so we run around the world and uh, we help uh, leaders uh, more or less keep talent and uh, and to grow and to uh, develop emerging leaders into more talent because the biggest issue today, uh, well, is, if it's not today, it's going to be tomorrow, is the management of talent and uh, keeping talent around the world as we're seeing uh, 10,000 baby boomers leaving the uh, working industry every day in America at the moment. So, uh, yeah, we just make it, we make life easier for the leaders and get everyone connected and united and uh, on, a, on a similar vision, which creates a high-performing high culture. So imagine you know, through your success and your growth and everything you guys are doing and transforming from the sports world to the business world, um, you're really sort of disrupting the HR process across the globe. Um, I know sort of the statement that we picked up on that uh, we really kind of caught our attention was traditional training is dead. Um, you know, so what does that mean? You know, what, what, what should companies be thinking about if, if traditional uh, training really is dead? It's, it's, uh, I came out with that call some seven years ago, Chris, and when I was working for a corporation actually running around Australia with their team, not with my company, and uh, uh, doing middle management coaching and meditation and uh, a lot of training, a lot of teaching, and, and I used to do the pre-program surveys and then I'd do the post-program surveys after a couple of months or up to six months, and very rarely did we see, see sustained growth when it came to employee engagement. So... Uh, what I realised then is, is knowledge dumping and, and teaching has a, a motivational impact, but to create sustainable growth when it comes to uh, high levels of productivity, unity and productivity, uh, profitability, sorry, you need people to be consistently activating these new skills. And so in the sports industry, we had this happening and uh, everyone was accountable to their leadership growth. Uh, and so we implemented that into the, the business world. and. And now we hold people to account over 12 or 24 months or whatever it may be uh, when it comes to these new activations and where they want to take the company. So getting their full buy-in, uh, getting them to design their environment to some degree, uh, and then forcing people to connect and create. And uh, once you tap into those neurological motivators, then you'll find that uh, people will become a lot more engaged. Uh, and... <clears throat> which pushes away from mainstream training. And just to finish on that, when I say traditional training, I'm talking traditional training when it comes to leadership and culture and engagement. <clears throat> Not traditional training <clears throat> to be upskilled in a certain trade <clears throat> or skill set. That's still imperative, but more when it comes to leadership growth. So, you know, is this really about getting people excited about what we want them to do? Is this tapping into maybe some of their strengths as a part of, you know, where they might go? Or, you know, like, which part of that psychology are you kind of tapping into for them to really be taking on that, that charge, right? Where they're, they're taking ownership of it and running with it. Yeah, so as business leaders, we know where we want to take the business, and that's very clear from the get-go. So we have three KPIs that we want to achieve. 
keep it very clear. And then when you really go down to the employee level then or leadership level, depends who you're working with, and uh, and more or less just give them the vision, make sure they know the vision, and then getting them to further advance the vision through their own creativity. Uh, and along the way, um, getting them to be held accountable to that vision through what they want to do to create that vision more so. So we see the business in two, two aspects, the heart of the business and the brain of the business. Like the human body, the brain and the heart of the two major organs. And so the brain is the systems, the processes, the procedures and products. The heart of the business is your relationships, your culture, your leadership, your communication. And so what we really want to do, once we know where we want to take the company when it comes to a vision, then we've got to get people more focused on building the heart of the business. And when you get people focused building on the heart of the business, that means that the blood is pumping a lot quicker and healthier around the body of the business. And it goes organically to the brain, which organically fixes all those areas. So really getting your people to focus on the heart of the business once they know the vision of the organisation. And that cleans down relationships, it enhances recognition, uh, and it really builds in that uh, care factor that people sometimes can miss very quickly in the workplace. So how, how, as you kind of go in, let's say the first time and you're, you're talking to leaders, you're talking to organizations about taking on some sort of this approach, uh, how do you feel the organization sort of accept your ideas of engagement and culture to, to start? And then and, and how, how does that sort of progress, uh, you know, over the engagement uh, that you may have with them? It's a great question. You know, it's like when any consultant or uh, facilitator comes into any business, everyone's always got their arms crossed because they're so used to having another training session, a memory dumping, a uh, pen and paper session. We don't use pen and paper in all of our programs. And so after the third, second or third week, or usually after the first week, they realise that this isn't another uh, memory test as such. So we basically say to them, okay, team, you now know the heart and brain of the business. Uh, you know the vision of where we're going. Uh, okay, so here's an opportune time to say, where do we need to improve if we want to be number one in the industry? Hand out post-it notes to everyone and get them to actually stick them up on the whiteboard, whether they focus those well, those areas they want to improve. It could be product improvement. It could be relationship improvement. It could be breaking down silos. It could be anything they want and then actually get them to, to put those post-it notes either in the heart or the brain and then getting them to really see as a group where this environment needs to improve to be number one in the industry, that's pretty much the first activity we do. And then getting them to all to take one small act, focusing on the heart that they can accomplish this time between this, this time and next week, the same time, and then, uh, and then being reportable and accountable to that act. And it could be as small as just meeting someone in another department to learn more about their job, whatever it may be. So that's where we start. And after we give them this activation, after they realise that it's up to them where they take it, what they want to do, they relax a lot. And then we basically talk about behaviours, not values. We don't touch mission statements and these sorts of things. And they go on a really creative program. So, how, how, what, you know, I guess I, I, when, I, when you was listening to you talk, I was really thinking it's great that they come up with that stuff, but the big kind of like, I guess the must-have. I, I was thinking, and I'm, I want to hear your opinion on what you think, because you're actually seeing it there as you're doing your training. Is the accountability part, right? It's that follow-up and accountability to what they've said they were going to do as being mm. of the most valuable. Because it's great for someone in a meeting to say, "I want to do this thing," and then if they go back to their desk and they never think about it again, what was the point, right? So, how valuable is that in the process? And and what are some of the things that you're doing to really make sure that people? Are, are accountable or held accountable to themselves or whatever that process looks yeah. like. So remembering firstly that they've come up with it. 
Okay, they've designed it. It's their creativity. And then at the end of next week, they come up and we get with a 30-second update. Did you or did you not achieve your accountability task? They go yes or no, public recognition or public shame, whatever you want to call it. But we don't hang them out to dry so much. But what you want to do here, Chris, is you want to start seeing patterns in people. You've designed, you've told us what we need to improve as the company. What's your role here as the company? Your role, quite simply, is to make the company successful. We're paying you a wage to make the company successful. You've told us what we need to improve. Now we're asking you to go and help us improve it based on what you want to do for that one act each week. So we ask them each week, we go around and say, did you or did you not achieve it? If they say no, we say, why not? Uh, and then basically get clear on their, their excuse and say, well, you're going to fix it next week. And we keep doing this each week, each week to see who is reluctantly reluctant to make the company expand and grow in the areas that they think it needs to grow. So if there's a pattern here, you know John, who hasn't for six weeks delivered, you know that he's not engaged. Right. So what are we going to do? We're going to coach him in or we're going to have a talk to him about where do we, what do we need to do? So you can't you can sort of see the the, the festering issues that are under, underneath the surface with this one little activity. Remember, we've got like 20 activities in a program. This is just one. So uh, what really fascinating to me about your work was your kind of beginnings in, in, in sports teams. And it's kind of, I thought, a good connection was that was where I started, right? I found a lot of success in working with sports teams um, as a coach, um, had Olympic-level uh, swimming a athletes that I was coaching. and But what I found uh, sort of as a revelation was I had to do things very differently in the business world than I did um inside of swimming and getting getting young athletes motivated and what they were doing was sort of very different. Uh, I didn't think it was different for a while. And then I suddenly had this epiphany like, geez, it's a lot different than when you can have them go do push-ups or, um, you know, uh, swim a couple extra laps for not listening to you, right? You have to sort of engage with people in a much different way than you do as an authority figure. Um, so I'm sort of really curious what you know, your your kind of experiences were with sports teams, and I know you had some success through the group activation system. Maybe you could kind of talk through that and maybe some of the parallels and differences, you know, between sports and, and business groups. Look, in my experience, there's not a lot of difference. I mean, you're talking about a swimming, uh, in the swimming industry, that's an individual sport. And so when you're creating a movement within a team or an organisation, it has to be a united leadership front. And really the key thing, first and foremost, is ensuring that those leaders are on the same page and they're all buying into where they're going. Because at the end of the day, you know, leaders make or break your business, and uh, especially when it comes to engagement and culture. Um, so, uh, yeah, when I started working with teams, I mean, all I was asking the, the leaders to do was, What's one or what's what's four what things you're going to do on during the game that's going to show leadership, and get them to design it, and then then hold accountable to it. So you'd come off at uh, the end of the game and say, did you did you not achieve it? And if they did, and if the majority of the leaders did this, then nine times out of ten we will win the game because you're working on the heart of the team and then forcing relationships, making them connect with other players. And it's the same thing in the business world. We're asking our leaders to act like leaders and stop talking like leaders because everyone's sick and tired of leaders that talk the talk but don't walk the walk. And so uh, it's about activating people. And what I love about this the most, I, I love this the most where we go into companies because we're in so many countries now in every culture and uh, you know we're learning so much along the way is when a company says to me, Rich, look, we can't start the program yet because we're going to actually remove three people from the business. And I'll say categorically don't. Trust me, don't. Start the program right now. 
And sure enough, if they back me, they do it. It's always those three that excel the most, nearly in all occasions, or it's the one one out of three that you can tell is dead wood, and so they need to be moved on definitely. But then you've saved two people that were, were amazing talent that just came good. So especially with the millennials coming through, I mean, there's a lot of deactivation with our millennials. Once you actually light the spark to a millennial in the right way, then there's your future. So, um, uh, and as many, 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 it's the same in a sporting environment. You've got to put people under pressure slightly in a, in a group environment to see how they perform and to see whether they're highly engaged or actively disengaged because it'll come out. They can't help but come out. And when they hit the surface, that's when you can make act, take action on the people that are disengaged and engaged. And so there's the process that unfolds throughout the uh, the group activation and there's many there's six steps to it there's like 18 engagement keys and every group activation system is customized for every business whether it's in the hospital we're working with doctors in asia or we're working with government people in 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 the uk or a tradesman here in australia it doesn't matter because when it comes to engagement it's about neurology it's about understanding how people are motivated and then activating those all the time. And a business leader these days hasn't got the nous or the know-how to do that. So that's, I guess, been the, the basis to our success. Well, I love the example of sort of waiting to get rid of those people. Uh, we had a very similar experience. We went from brick and mortar to 100% remote. There was some people in our organization we were worried about. And turned out that when we started measuring things better and we're being clearer and we couldn't be lazy with some of the things we were doing in a traditional brick and mortar set, set up, those people turned out to be my best employees, yeah. right? Um, and they were disengaged, and there was other people, you know, taking the easy work and leaving them the hard stuff, and you know, just a bunch of weird kind of like things that we figured out along the way that, you yeah. know, we, we would have gotten rid of them, and that would have been a huge mistake. Um, and that, you know, that's the so, talent. That's the talent thing, Chris. You know, there's unearthed talent, and and uh, there's super there's superpowers, there's supermen, there's superwomen in in people's businesses now. They just haven't activated them. Mm-hmm. So we're activating people. We're not teaching people. There's a big difference. So when we, we train up our 300 licensees, we say, you're not teachers. You're activators. Go and activate because we're not industry specific. We don't care for your industry. We don't care for your, your country. We just are people experts. And so once you activate the brains of these people in a, in a group environment, you're going to see magic. And it's just simple as that. And then we're just getting, you're seeing it all the time. It really is the greatest job ever because you're seeing breakthroughs. And we usually get breakthroughs in our 12-week program at week three, week seven, and a week 11. So there's three big shifts that take place because of the movement you've got to take the groups on. So maybe you could uh, kind of transition here to the uh, what, explaining what quality mind is. I know it's taken you 22 yeah. years to build that. and kind of focuses on managing pressure and in, uh, in the mind and, and the body. So you can kind of give us a little update on that. And, and, and how does this approach to mental health maybe help athletes and, and business people to be successful? Yeah, cool. So when I was a young 18-year-old, I was drafted to the elite sport here in Australia. And uh, I blew up pretty quickly. I didn't have the mental capacity. I had a bad attitude. And I left. And then I found my passion pretty much two years after that. And it was my, it was about human behavior. Hence why Engage and Grow was really being designed 20 years ago. And then I started to see patterns in players that had the same patterns as me. You know, bad discussions in the head, rep- repetition, uh, beating myself up. Um, high anxiety, elements of uh, panic attacks and depression sometimes, and 
Uh, and I went on this journey of literally after that stuff up of my elite career of this journey of reading nearly a book every fortnight, studying psychology. And uh, and then I got to the stage where I was when I was working with elite athletes here in Australia in my 30s that I was running a system because Engage and Grow is a system, a group activation system. Quality Mind is, uh, is the personal activation system. And so it got rid of all these. So I picked players, elite athletes, this is where it began, and I would, and they would have injuries all the time, and I would run them through the system, and all their injuries would go. And this is every one of my clients after I figured out the system. And so I started to get a lot of attention from the media here as the injury-free mind coach. And at the same time, Engage and Grow was booming around the world, so I didn't have time to push the finger on it. But in the meantime, I built an app. And the app has the system in it. And so now we're working with people around the world with depression who have come off depression, medication within two to uh, two to four weeks. Uh, people with generally bad health have improved their health, they've improved their wealth, they've improved their relationships. Because what we do, quite simply, is get them to really understand their thinking processes and understand how to go, how to get rid of that, um, all those old habits, and then expand their consciousness to a level where they really understand who they are not opposed to what they've become. Now that's a big thing because we've all we've all gone through the planetary experience and we've turned into this person. We actually sometimes don't even know who the hell we are. And so we've got to clean all that down a lot of it, Chris, and take take yourself back to your true potential. And I guess that's the young, that's the cleaning part of the quality mind. Well, I'm uh, going to download the app when we get off our uh, interview here today. I'd love to check that out. It sounds fascinating and certainly suggest people look up Quality Mind Global, if they want to check out the app and maybe get some, uh, be nice to not have any injuries or, or work on some other things as well. Uh, that sounds fantastic. So I know you've authored a book as well, Busy Guy, uh, The Minds of Winning Teams, Creating uh, Team Success Through Engagement and Culture. Can you talk about what's in the book? What can people expect and why, you know, maybe what are some of the, the better takeaways that a reader might want to uh, check out? Yeah, cool. So 2014, penned that one. It was more about engage and grow and giving you ideas on activities you can use in your workplace. So understanding why people are disengaged neurologically and then literally try this and try this and try this to help you through it. Uh, the last part of the book really is about quality mind. It's about the power of the mind. And, and that really is the new future now. The mind is the new future. <clears throat> because we're at our uh, level of uh, capacity when it comes to physical performance. Now it's the mind. Got a new book coming out literally in uh, three weeks called Engage and Grow, which is co-authored by Marshall Goldsmith, uh, Mark C. Thompson, Brad Sugars and myself. So that's coming out. Uh, and, and additional to that, just quickly if I might add, we've got a free employee engagement certification that people can do if they want. It takes about two hours and they get a certificate from Marshall and the team uh, that they've, they've achieved that and they can take that into the workplace. So you can check that out on uh, in the next few days. It's going onto the website in the next few days at engageandgrowglobal.com. Well, certainly love for people to check that out. Sounds like a great opportunity. And uh, I, I know Marshall, and so I'm sure between his insights and yours, it'll be well, well worth uh, uh, people to check out. Um, you know, a couple of the things we like to, we've been asking our guests all year long to kind of getting some, some fun answers and things we didn't expect. And, uh, mm -hmm. is there an app or a gadget or something that you've added to your life this year that you, uh, would share with us? Well, definitely the quality of mine app, Chris, without doubt. It's, right. um, 
<laughs> look, plug there. Uh, look, shameless, I, uh, shameless, but we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shameless, all right. Look, I use Evernote probably most of the time with my uh, file because it's such a busy workload. I, I file that. I use Evernote quite a lot. Other than that, um, everything I do because the travel we're doing is Zoom. I'm constantly on Zoom or Skype, and if I didn't have those two things in my phone, I'd be cactus. Right. Right. Yeah. Zoom's a fantastic one. We've really kind of migrated to that almost completely and outside of, of Skype, just uh, it being so resource heavy. Well, what about books? Uh, is there a, a book that you have read recently or one that you typically suggest people check out if uh, you know they're interested in, in, in learning? Oh, there's so many. I think I've got about 15 queued up at the moment. Um, the, the Nature of Personal Reality, that's not a bad book if you want to check that out. The Nature of Personal Reality. Geez, I listen to a lot of podcasts now, you know, uh, but uh, there's, there's so many broad, broad books. There's one down here called uh, the, uh, the Human Primer. That's not a bad book. But see, I'm right into the mind. So I get right into spiritualism and the mind and the deeper side of things. So if that's of interest to your viewers or your listeners, then, then that would be something to look at. Well, fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can they learn more? What's the best place for them to go? I know you said the site earlier, but maybe you can say it again. What's the best way for, for people to check out uh, your different resources and your site and, and find out more about your company and what you're doing? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, well, richmaloney.com is my website. Uh, we've also got qualitymindglobal.com. Uh, that's qualitymindglobal.com and engageandgrowglobal.com. So uh, feel free to check us out there. We're on Instagram. We're on all your social media icons. We're on uh, LinkedIn, the lot. So, uh, but probably the portal would be richmaloney.com for uh, to get in contact. But uh, we've got lots of really fun things happening for organisations, for individuals, sport, and uh, and just general people alike. So uh, you know, to spread the message is, is a great gift, and I appreciate the opportunity. Rich, thank you so much for sharing your great insights into uh, leadership and in the mind and everything that you're doing. It's really inspirational, and uh, I'm sure people can take some of this information and use it in their own careers and their and, and their personal lives, make themselves better. So, uh, hopefully, I'll be come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it, man. All right, we'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll come right back with my second guest, Sharon Rich. <laughs> Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Rich Maloney, you can check out his interview. Go to TownTalkRadio.com. Find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or everywhere. Um, love to have you do that. And, of course, we'd love to have you keep the conversation going on Twitter, Twitter. Uh, Find uh, at PeopleG2 uh, on Twitter or follow the hashtag Talent Talk, all one word, and you can find us there. 
my producer Mike is live streaming as we speak, and you can find our guest handles and the conversation going there um, with all their great uh, quotes and tips and tricks and everything else that they're talking about. So as a reminder, I'd love to have you check out my book, The uh, Power of Company Culture. It's uh, on Amazon now. And uh, this will be actually, I think, uh, our last live show for a few weeks. We'll have a few uh, best of shows coming up in November, uh, the first couple weeks of November. And of course, that week of Thanksgiving, we'll all be off. But I'll be uh, in London and Bath uh, recording uh, the audio version of my book and then speaking in Amsterdam. Uh, lots of fun stuff. So if you happen to be in those areas and you're listening to the show, reach out. I uh, love to connect, uh, and then a little fa- family vacation for Thanksgiving. So we'll have we won't have a live show again until maybe about a month, uh, but we'll certainly play some guest of some best of, excuse me, uh, and keep the show going. So let's go ahead and get to my second guest, which is Sharon Rich, the CEO of Think Business Growth. Um, Sharon, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. And why don't you tell a little bit about yourself and what's important for us to know, and of course you know, what your company does and what you're doing over there at Think Business Growth. So, Chris, when I was about 24 years old, I fell into co-owning a boutique advertising agency. And at 27, I fell up again into an executive creative director role in the headquarters of a national advertising agency that had seven locations all over the U.S., And about 10 years later, I fell up yet again into a vice president role in an even bigger agency with a much larger department that I was responsible for, much bigger accounts. Now, at no time during any of what ultimately ended up being close to 20 years in leadership roles, did anybody have a conversation with me about what leadership meant or what it looked like or who I needed to become or what I needed to focus on to be effective as a leader. So back in about 2005, I started Think Business Growth to provide other leaders with the perspectives, the tools, and the support that I wished I would have had as a leader in business. Well, and frankly, for a lot of us, we just sort of used the examples we had that maybe we learned intuitively, right, from parents and mentors and and people. But I, I, I'm sort of feeling a similar thing where you just you jump in and you do it, right? You do the best you can, but maybe we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> for sure. Um, and so, and one of your main objectives is is to teach leadership teams and CEOs about that kind of hidden game that's being played in organizations. Um, Maybe without their knowledge. So you could talk about what is that hidden game? What, do you, what are you really trying to uncover there? Yeah, so the hidden game is the way that people and organizations kind of slip into thinking and acting and interacting with each other in ways that they aren't even aware they're doing. So we kind of slip into a collective autopilot. <laughs> and the this is really dangerous because... When we behave in certain ways that are just unintentional and that are just habits, those, you know, those um, just sort of evils that we think that we're stuck with and nobody ever talks about changing, well, these can completely become our habitual ways of working. And it becomes an unspoken agreement between people in an organization that this is how we work. Um, And 
this can completely block our creativity. It can impede execution. It can keep us from solving mission critical problems. You know, it just really takes over. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and uh, it's really fascinating uh, to kind of hear you put it that way. You know, sort of these set of norms. It's these unspoken things that happen or don't happen. And uh, I think a hidden game is a really interesting way to kind of categorize that, given that um, you walk in and you figure this stuff out. But then again, also no one really talks about it, right? That's right. Or, or sometimes we talk about it, but we talk about it as like in a fait complete. And it's just, oh, yeah, you know, that's how we are. You know, this is how we make decisions or, you know, we never uh, share information in a smooth way here. But we don't ever talk about, well, how do we share information here? How do we make decisions here? How do we make it safe for people to do the right thing in our organization? Right, right. So what do you think companies need to do then to create a sustainable, high-performing organization? Um you know, where maybe those hidden games have been as much as possible uh, rooted out and brought to the surface to die, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, or, or at least helping people get past some of that stuff. You know, I think that the most important thing that companies can do is first just become aware that there is this hidden game and that it doesn't have to remain hidden and that it doesn't. Ha- I, I like to say that either the game, either we play the game or the game plays us. Right. So if we become aware that there's stuff going on and that we're not conscious of it and we relentlessly work together to surface that and to talk about how can we play better, that that's the most important thing we can do. You know, athletic teams do this. Any team where performance is immediate and there's immediate feedback on performance, if you're talking about theater, if you're talking about um, musical groups, orchestras, anything like that, they talk about how they play together and they work it out. So if there's a, if somebody's missing a cue or they're not in the right place to receive a pass, they work on that. And we don't do that in business and we need to. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about how oh, we talk about that in other contexts and other groups and other settings, but for some reason, instead of an organization that sort of gets stale and it gets very hierarchical, it gets very you know, power-driven to maybe that one person in the organization who's been there the longest or was the founder or whatever it may be, and it can certainly be difficult to, to get around. Right. Um, the longer people are in organizations, the more invisible the game becomes. It's interesting that that game that's hidden is often quite visible to somebody new that's entering the organization. And it can be shocking um, to see how a, a their department does things that's different from places they may have worked in the past. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but then as they become part of the team, part of the organization, then they become part of those invisible agreements, and now it becomes less visible to them. So tell us a little bit about your book. Um, obviously, you're probably covering some of these things. The book is titled uh, Your Hidden Game. Uh, and what could people take away from it? You know, what, what, who would be the type of person who, who might want to pick it up and, uh, you know, really gain some value from the things that you're talking about? So there are uncountable hidden games and unspoken agreements that people can fall into. But what the book does is it identifies 10 
essential agreements that really lay the foundation for high performance in organizations. And these agreements set it up so that organizations can succeed, and not only succeed, but they can sustain their success much more easily. So really, who should read this book is um, CEOs um, and members of the leadership team and really anybody in an organization who wants to see the organization accomplish its desired outcomes. Yeah, and, and this is... Stories. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Um, I've put a lot of stories and examples in the book that make it easier for leaders to recognize the games that might be going on in their own organizations because they can see them in similar organizations that I've worked with and helped to surface and resolve hidden games that they had going on. How many of these games are coming from that leader and how many of them are, or at least being allowed by that leader and how many of them are maybe coming from other strong personalities or long-term employees, um, you know, maybe that they're not even aware of. That's a great question. Um, Definitely anything that is allowed to continue in an organization is ultimately a leadership problem or a leadership opportunity. And so whether or not the behaviors and thinking originated with the leader or leadership team or if they started at some other place in the organization but were allowed to continue, it's, it's always comes back to the leader um, or the leadership team. And so, you know, the, it's a great opportunity for leaders not to be victims of what's going on in their organizations anymore and to really see this as an opportunity to, to open up conversations that can create change that's much more rapid than they would have thought possible. Well, and to maybe kind of break this down for leaders, if they're having a hard time, you know, sometimes we're, we're talking about things in such a general way that, you know, people need specifics. So let's maybe talk about one of the, you, know, you have 10 unspoken agreements that are the foundation um, that can give leaders the ability to kind of take back the control they need. Maybe we can kind of look at the, the first one, which is um, uh, how we will talk about um, the business and each other. Uh, maybe right. Kind of break down what is that agreement about and, and what, what, what would leaders get out of that sort of dialogue, that sort of conversation? Yeah, so well, let me start with an example. Um, I used to work in the creative department of an ad agency. And the creative, we thought all the account team cared about was getting the sale no matter what. And that's what we talked about. We had lots of stories about that. We could drum up some really good anger and outrage and resistance to them. And meanwhile, on the account side, they had stories about the creatives not being realistic, only caring about winning awards, not really being practical. And what this did was it pitted us against each other. And that was how we played it. So we never played as a team. We didn't help each other. We each loved it when the other side lost. And that's not really a very good recipe for organizational success. When you've got people within an organization who are talking about the business in negative ways or who are talking about each other in negative ways, and this is a huge hidden game that goes on in most businesses. And you know, how we talk about the business and how we talk about each other sends really powerful hidden messages. 
And it had a huge impact on the experience and outcomes that we created, as well as the ones we didn't for our clients. It affected the kind of talent we attracted and how long we were able to retain them. You know, if you think about it, it creates the culture of the organization, the way that we talk within the organization. And so, and, and you know, I, I also have worked in companies where there was a real focus in the languaging about fear, about fear of what might happen, what could go wrong. Um, and then I've also worked in organizations where we've talked about what's possible and what we're creating. And the outcomes are night and day. But most companies don't realize that this is something you can be intentional about. You know, they, they don't talk about it. They, it just happens, and they think they have no control over it. But we do. As leaders, we can shape the conversation in an authentic way. I'm not talking about um, dictating the conversation, but I'm talking about encouraging and guiding and having people be conscious of the conversations that they're having and the impact that those conversations have. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of those un you said these sort of unspoken rules, but it's also this um, you know self-fulfilling prophecy that if we have these things that uh, one group's acting a certain way or people are are a certain way, then we hire those people who are that way, and then of course we don't get what we want from them or they don't last or whatever these things are because we have these ideas, these kind of fixed mindsets about things and it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I, I know so one of the other things. agreements that you you mentioned in there was um, is how we share information and and coordinate action items with each other. Um, so how how vital is that unspoken agreement in those types of situations? Well, it's huge because how we coordinate is the lifeblood of an organization. Uh, in my book, I tell a story about Dr. Judy. It's not her real name, but uh, she was she's an entrepreneurial doctor, and she had an idea for a leading-edge med tech device that was going to solve a huge problem of patient compliance by making it easier for patients to follow their doctor's advice at home. Now, Judy was incredibly fearful of a competitor getting to market before she did. So she guarded her intellectual property, I mean, zealously as an understatement. And as her company grew, she still kept a very tight rein on the information, even inside the company. So what happened was that some people in the company had access to information and others didn't. Some departments knew things, others were in the dark. A lot of the time, people got information on what she considered to be a just-in-time basis that was often too late. And what that meant was that people didn't have context for what they were doing. They didn't have the opportunity to coordinate with each other. And as a result, there were breakdowns, there were slowdowns. And in the end, someone else did beat her to market, and she paid a pretty high price for that. So you really well, just, you cannot have a high-performing organization without a smooth flow of information and a and without teams being in sync with each other. Yeah, and that's Transparency 101, right? We can't make expect people to make great decisions or have great ideas or um, help us and protect us and, and, and do all the things we want them to do if they don't have the information. I mean, people just, they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> right. Um, and right. it's amazing to me how poorly most organizations deal with this idea of transparency and how much they hide so many things, hide um, the data, hide the goals, hide the how, how, what a success look like. I mean, all these sorts of things are, are just seem to be 
hidden or intentionally, you know, kind of brushed under the rug and, and, and no one bothers to go look for it. Totally. And what we'll do is we'll say, well, we've got to get better at this, but we don't ever talk about what it actually looks like for us to share information or coordinate our actions. And that's what I'm talking about here is starting to design our plays in the business world, just like they do on the football field. Right. Right. One of the last one that we kind of pulled out from the book was uh, a focus on uh, sort of the unspoken agreement of how we become accountable for created uh, for creating kind of our, I guess, our, our desired outcome. So maybe you could kind of walk us through that one. Yeah. Accountability is one of the most misunderstood concepts in business. And most of the time we think of accountability as what happens when we fail. It's all about who's going to pay Who's going to lose their job? Who's going to take the blame? Who has to fix the mess? But accepting or handing out blame is not the same thing as accountability because giving or accepting blame after the fact has never yet produced a desired outcome. Right? Accountability has to be about producing desired outcomes, not about what we do when we fail to produce them. So it has to start from the beginning, not from the point of failure. The best operational definition of accountability I have ever seen comes from my strategic business partner, Mark Samuel of Impact Corporation. And Mark says, and this is in my book, that accountability is in place in a working environment when people can count on each other to take actions that are consistent with the desired outcomes we've agreed on. And that's it. It's, it's incredibly simple, but it is a massive paradigm shift from how we operate yeah and it's a real game changer and we see this in organizations all the time we'll have a leader bring in some consultant or bring in someone hey guys we're all we're going to have more compassion or we're going to have more this or more whatever this thing is right they want everyone to do it and then five minutes later that person's screaming to somebody on the phone or you know just sort of acting in a way that's completely opposite or foreign to to what they said they valued right and so everyone walks away going well that was all just for show. I mean, this, this this whole thing didn't mean anything and no one takes it seriously. And this is really where leaders have such an incredible impact is how they choose to deal with things and what they choose to do. And uh, e- even when they admit they're wrong or, or apologize or whatever it may be and how, how they sort of evolve in that process has such a huge impact on how everybody else um, operates. And and, and it, it seems to be, you know, unfortunately they have the most Fortunately, they have the most ability, I think, to, to make a change, and they have the biggest ability to, to just screw it all up, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and so much of it, of what goes wrong, happens in this misunderstanding that we need to first get really clear about what are we going for? What is that desired outcome? Which, by the way, is agreement three in my book. Um, but then we've got to work out how do we how are we going to get to this and how are we going to you know who does what how are we going to solve and solve problems how are we going to deal with failure how are we going to coordinate with each other all of that and then we just need to take the actions that are consistent with what we've agreed on and we have to just be relentless about that recipe and when we do that, it's a lot more fun. <laughs> we see a lot more success, and it's much more sustainable, and our cultures get better. And it's very attractive. It attracts t- 
talent. It attracts clients. It's just a high-performance way of functioning that very few leaders, and it's not their fault because they didn't learn this. Who taught them this? And so that's really my goal is to help them to be aware that there's a different game going on that they could get into. So if, you know, uh, leaders are listening to this now and and they're saying, I get it, I'm connecting with this, and I I really want to ensure that I'm helping create a better working environment, where where do they need to start or, or maybe how do leaders best respond to challenges and problems and the, you know, the sort of day-to-day things that they need to, to be better at or, or to maybe uh, use as a way to uncover some of the things that are, are in your book? I think there are two questions there. So the, the first question, you know, where do we start? I would say is with the courage to look at what you're doing and the courage to have really real conversations with team members in which you look at what you're doing that's working and what you're doing that could be working better in a way that is devoid of blame (laughs) and all about coming into alignment with what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, So I think that's that's where to begin and in the middle and the end. (laughs) That is the job in my opinion, of the leader, is to continuously help and push everyone in the organization to be doing that all the time. Um, In terms of responding to challenges and problems, I think that what happens most often is that people try to squash or avoid problems and challenges, and as soon as they've done that, they've lost the battle. Um, As soon as, if you are at war with problems, which are inevitable, you are setting your people and your teams up to be risk averse, to hide problems, to miss critical learning opportunities. And so I think that in terms of dealing with problems and challenges, this is another agreement. It is getting clear amongst the people who work in the organization, how do we respond? How do we treat problems and challenges? Do we embrace them as learning opportunities? Do we make it safe for people to surface issues and acknowledge the truth of the situation? Do we work to anticipate what could go wrong and get ready to respond effectively when it does? And so I think that everything for me boils down to working on how we play together as a team. And that applies whether we're talking about what we're going for or whether we're talking about the challenges that get in our way. Right. Well, um, some of the uh, fun things that we've been sort of asking our guests towards the the end of the interview, and we're getting close to that point, is, um, you know, is there an app or a gadget or a process or something that you've added to your life um, uh, that has helped you professionally or personally that you might share with us? Yeah, so I, I was thinking about that. It's not an app or a gadget, but there is actually a very amazing game experience. Um, and it's called Fresh Biz. It was created by this Israeli entrepreneur, uh, a guy named Ronan Gaffney. And it's being played all over the world. It's, it's a three-hour experience that surfaces hidden games. It just, it just happens, I, you know, that um, I found Ronan after I was already working on this book. 
um, but it gives people and organizations an opportunity to practice new thinking and new behaviors in a safe space that they can then take back into their real world and tra use it to transform the way that people work together and the results they get. And it's just really, really cool. So, uh, I, I often, I often think of some of those things like, uh, if you've ever remember the book of questions, it was really big, uh, you know, mm -hmm. 20 years ago and it's sort of gotten started to come back around again. I'm starting to see people walking around with it and, you know, just asking these questions about your friends or your, uh, your spouse or someone you're dating. And it's so funny how these things will kind of come out, right? That these uh, conversations that maybe you wouldn't have ever had it, but by just sort of being prodded on a question and talking through ethics and morals and, and why and values and, and why, why would you make one decision over next and understanding the other person. And um, th those types of conversations are so invaluable to try to, to help people get people on the same page. Doesn't I mean we all have to think the same way or believe the same thing, but get people on the same page from a value standpoint and on how we might proceed um, at least at work, right? With our, with our clients and, and what we're going to do it's it, really sounds like the work that you're doing can be really valuable for companies that are struggling with that, that feel like they're, they're a little bit off uh, in that way. Totally. I think that so many leaders think that their job is to provide answers, and I think that one of the most powerful things they can do is provide the right questions and open up conversations and not have to know everything but work together with their teams to find and discover their answers that are going to drive them to their goals. Uh, and how about uh, a book? Is there a book that you're reading right now that you might suggest our readers to take a look at? Yeah, I'm reading uh, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by um, Eval Harari. I'm not sure if I pronounced his name right. But it is a really um, thought-provoking book. It's actually full of questions um, about just all of the huge challenges that we are facing today in society, but you know, they all, many of them apply to business and we really need to think about these and where we need to put our attention. There's a lot of focus on the impact of technology on our, on our world and how we need to think about that in, in a new way. Well, Sharon, how can people get a hold of you? Um, how can they find out more about your business, Think Business Growth? So my website is thinkbusinessgrowth.com. And the best way to reach me is by email. Uh, my email is Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N, at thinkbusinessgrowth.com. Well, Sharon, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. I really love the different things we talked about and uh, these sort of hidden uh, discussions and hidden things inside of companies is a really great way to kind of frame uh, a lot of the, the struggles and things happening inside of companies. Hopefully, we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the awesome things that you're doing over there uh, with your company. I would love that. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for being a part of the show today. As I mentioned before, I will be on a little bit of a hiatus for a few weeks. We'll have some best of shows playing. And uh, if again, if uh, you're out uh, in the UK or in uh, Amsterdam uh, in November, let me know. Uh, part of my network will certainly uh, try to connect and, uh, or I'd love to have you be a part of some of the conferences that I'm speaking at. So until then, uh, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.